there is only one true way to be enlightened and entertained with the best sports knowledge. That way is the American way. Welcome to the American Way podcast. Here's your host, Amir. All right, Assalamualaikum, uh, ladies and gentlemen. I'm here. We're joined by Manny Hill, a great, a great friend, an expert of mine. Uh, Manny, how are you doing today? Thanks so much for joining in. Yeah, Amir, thanks for having me on, man. How are you? I'm great, thank you. Great, thank you. Uh, everything going well, I, I assume. Yeah, things are going uh, pretty well, all things considered. Pandemic is, uh, we're getting closer to the finish line and closer to getting back to normal. So it's, uh, I'm excited. Yeah, me too. I'm excited. Uh, got uh summer summer's uh, summer's just about here fully vaccinated so hopefully uh hopefully things are starting to look up yeah i'm getting uh my second pfizer shot on wednesday so i'm like halfway vaccinated but uh yeah come wednesday i'll be uh i'll be fully ready to go that sounds excellent that sounds that sounds just excellent yeah i think the first shot for me there was no issues. The second one, I think, just because I was fasting that day, so I felt like I was a, a what do you call it? a whip a whiplash? That's the word. So I felt, sure. I felt yeah, yeah. so yeah. it sort of felt like whiplash that you just yeah. like yeah, just it was no chills, no none of that, just like a body ache, just like yeah, like like like, like at the after effects of getting hit by a car, uh, getting hit, yeah. Yeah, I kind of had a, I just, after the first shot, I just had a little bit of like a sore arm. That was about it. You know, I've, I've been getting kind of mixed reports on people getting their second shot. Some people have been telling me that it's, that they feel okay, that they maybe just had like a little light headache or that their arm was hurting for a little bit. And then I'm hearing from other people that they were just miserable after getting their second shot. So I guess it's, I guess for me, it's going to be kind of a flip of a coin. I suppose so. I mean, you never know. Each each person is different, I imagine. So we'll, yeah. we'll just have to wait and see. For sure. So I thought I'd have you on today to chat sports. I know you're a big, uh, I appreciate your work and you're a major sports mind and was uh, talking with a mutual friend, uh, Ross Brendel, and he, uh, he was, to, uh, obviously I've listened to you and I know, uh, know of you for a while, so I just get to know you better and just... Uh, get 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 inside that uh, brilliant mind of yours. Sure, yeah, I'm totally open to that. Let's do it. Awesome. So, what? You, so first of all, I mean, the 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 it's been a rough going for the Wolves lately. I mean, they've been one. They've won, but the good news is they've won five out of the last seven. But I'm I'm mostly curious about next year. I mean, I'm what what are what are your thoughts for next year? I mean, obviously we there's a sixty sixty four percent chance we won't get the pick, but I think, I think with some with a little bit of reshuffling around the edges, and it looks like uh, Balmoro might be coming over. I think 
I think Edwards and McDaniels are already going to be good players. I'm curious to get your thoughts on the future of this team. Yeah, I would say that it, um, Amir, I would say it, it looks, the future I think looks a little brighter than it did at the start of the season. I think, you know, at the start of the year, we still didn't really have an idea of what this team was going to look like. I mean, I, I kind of thought going into this season that they were not going to be a playoff team. I know some people thought that they might have been, um, especially with sort of the way they expanded the playoff format this year to sort of that little play-in tournament that they're going to have for seeds 7 through 10. Um, but I never thought, I, I just figured with the with the depth of the Western Conference that it was going to be really hard for them to even get into that top 10 um, area. But, you know, when they, I, I think there was still sort of a mystery on, you know, what they would look like because we just hadn't seen, we hadn't really seen Carl Anthony Towns and D'Angelo Russell play together very much um, for a wide variety of reasons. And, you know, and, and there was still sort of the unknown about Anthony Edwards, like, we're, you know, is he going to be good right away? Is he going to be, um, you know, worth that number one overall pick? Uh, and, and we just you just looked at some of the other, you know, ancillary pieces surrounding them, uh, like you just didn't know what you were going to get out of them. And uh, it did not start out well, uh, as you... <laughs> As you probably remember, it was uh, not great. You know, Carl, I mean, well, they won their first two games, but then Carl got hurt, and that sort of threw a wrench in everything, and you just, things were just not good. They were kicking away games. They were getting blown out. The defense was terrible. You know, there, there was a lot of questions about, you know, Ryan Saunders' coaching style, and and the scheme fits and, and things like that. And then Carl came back after being out with the, with the uh, wrist problem and then um, having to miss time because of COVID. Carl finally came back and then D'Angelo Russell got hurt <laughs> and had to miss time. And so it, it, was, uh, it, it, was, it was rough. And, you know, they started losing a bunch of games even with Carl in the lineup and then they made the coaching change. And I think... I think Chris Finch has done a really nice job of, um, you know, it didn't start out great. Obviously, there were still a lot of issues, but I think he's found a groove now with this group, and you know, I think you can kind of see it on the on the court. There's still there's still a lot of warts. I think. I mean, there's still they still need to really get better on the defensive end. They still got to figure out the future of some of these some of these players. You know, guys like Josh Okoge and. You know, Jared Culver, who's missed some time this year. Uh, they got to figure out if those guys are going to be part of the future, especially Okogi, because he's coming up on, he's going to be coming up on uh, restricted free agency very soon. And he might be a guy that they might um, end up trying to move this summer um, just because they might not be able to work out a long-term deal with him. So, um, yeah, I, I do think, though, with, with Ant improving, over the course of the year, and you know, we're finally seeing D'Angelo, you know, sort of play after uh, missing a lot of time, and seeing him and Cat work together, and that's been that's been positive. So I, I think there's 
there's a lot more to be optimistic about now than I think there was even like two months ago. Yeah, I think I, I agree with you. I think just most I think most of the year was frustrating, like you like you alluded to that just the that it was like a merry go round. Like one person could go, one person would come out of the lineup and another person would come back in, and so yeah. I feel like we're fi- now Beasley's been out, but I feel other than Beasley, the most of the roster has. We've sort of now finally seen Cat and Russell and uh, Ant to, uh, and McHale's together on the court. So I feel like it's an assemblance of something. I think the first few games under Finch, he was trying to figure out what he had with his roster. And that's those, those were the growing pains that came along with it. But I think, I think it's clear that Finch is just a really good coach. Just uh, the system that he's running, I think it's, I think he's a very, he's, I think he's a good coach. Just the 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 plays that he's running and just how how his awareness like uh, when he calls timeouts and just his overall awareness, I guess uh, I'm curious mostly just to see how this roster is uh, is fleshed out. I think there are only five untouchables for next year. I think the biggest talking point for me I think is I I don't know about you but I think I think Cat would be more better better utilized at the four. I think. If you had a lineup with Russell at the one, Edwards at the two, McDaniel's at the three, and Cat at the four, and if you could find a way to cobble up those contracts, the Okogi, like you said, uh, Ricky's on an expiring contract. I think, depending on what the, what happens with this lottery, but I think, I think the the biggest goal to flesh out this roster would be finding a way to move Cat to the four because I think he defends. I think he'd defend wings better. Yeah, I mean that that's interesting. I you know, Cat is obviously defense has been um a widely discussed topic with Cat, you know, since he since he came into the league, really. I mean, we know how special he is offensively, you know, his ability to just step outside and hit threes and work in the post and you know, now, you know, we've seen the last couple of years him be able to, you know, put the ball on the deck and, and drive and attack the rim, um, with that, you know, seven foot frame. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I've kind of wavered back and forth on on the you know rather not catch to play the four. I, you know, I, I think it kind of depends on you know certain matchups. You know, if you're if you're matched up against the the Lakers, you know, for example, we know the Lakers are are you know they've been dealing with injuries this year with LeBron and AD missing a lot of time. But you know, the Lakers are typically more of a bigger. Um, a bigger team, and if you get matched up with a with a team like them, then yeah, you might want to slide Cat over to the four. But you also have those teams that that play smaller too, and you just have to kind of figure out a way to uh, to match that too at times. And and you know, with Cat being at his size, you know, if you're going up against a smaller team, ideally you you might you know want to be able to take advantage of that at times too. So it, it, it's, it's an interesting conversation and, and, you know, I, <laughs> it's hard for me to really figure out which way I lean on it because I think there's benefits and pos- and, uh, and, and I think there's pros and cons to both, to both of those things. Um, but, you know, I, I think it's, it's mainly just with this team, I think Amir, what they need a lot more of is a lot more. And this is something I've, I've felt about the Wolves for, for years, even going back to before 
before Flip came back in, in, you know, came back to coach in 2014. He'd already been back in the front office the year before. But um, is that, you know, versatility, I think, in today's NBA, where you get to a point where you're playing kind of positionless basketball, you know, where guys are sort of interchangeable in different spots, where it's more so you're not really thinking, well, who's the, you know, well, you you, always, you typically always have a, have a lead guard out there, a guy that can distribute and make plays for other people and, you know, find ways to create shots for himself. So you that would typically, you would look at that as your one. But then I think after that, I, I think you get to a point where things are a little bit more blurred and that positions are a little more interchangeable. Twos and threes are kind of the same type of guys, but then might have situations where three and the four are kind of the same type of same type of player and the four and the five as well so I I I feel like the Wolves in recent years especially have really lacked a lot of versatility and a guy like Jaden McDaniels I think is a guy that can provide some of that versatility a guy that can play a couple of different positions on the floor you know we've seen Ant kind of be sort of that you know, uh, play the three at times and play the two and even sometimes, you know, be a guy that's initiating um, offense as, as well. And, and I think the more that they can find versatility instead of having so many one-trick ponies, <laughs> I think it's going to really um, help with the, you know, further development and growth of this team. And Gerson Rosas is a smart guy and knows that because he came from, he came from Houston where there was a lot of, guys that were playing different positions than you would typically think. Um, you know, it's just a matter, I think, of just growing and developing, you know, the young players that you have and uh, and making smart decisions in, in free agency and, and in the draft and the off-seasons. That's a fair point. You're right. I think versatility is key in today's NBA. That you're right, the positionless basketball. I think it, it depends on matchups, and it, but it depends on the size and length that you 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 have to go, you have to because everyone's shooting threes now and so the the spacing the spacing gets wider so you're right yeah. that the ver, the more versatile guys are usually the guys with more length more size not necessarily the the tallest but like yeah just the I don't want to yeah I don't want to say height but like yeah they're big strong like the strong usually a lot of length so those are the guys that you you would want. So it'll be, it'll be interesting to mix and match. I I love McDaniel's just for what he brings already. I think yeah. I think to an extent you're right on on Ant, and I think Okogi has it a little bit. I think I think you're right. I think this this roster needs more versatility. I think that the could we just like could, could, is there a way where we could just take Josh Okogi's defense and put it into Anthony Edwards? Then you'd have like one of the best players in the NBA. You're right. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it's, you know, Ant, Ant is, uh, Ant has really grown and gotten better on the offensive end. You know, there were times earlier this season and, you know, and different, you know, coaching at the time might've had something to do with it, but there were times earlier this season where it's like, oh my God, what is he doing? He looks lost out there, <laughs> but he's really, uh, he's really grown on the offensive end. He's still got a, there's still some work to do on the defensive end, but 
but um, he's uh, he's got the goods and he's got the personality, I think, to grow and get better. I just wish I could take like Josh Okogie's defense and put it into Anthony Edwards, and then I think we need to have like a really, 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 really good NBA player. Yeah, you're right, and I think another thing that people, a lot of people, forget is that uh, he reclassified when he was in high school, so he actually yeah. technically, so he's actually. You know, he's te- he technically should have been it's still in college, but because he reclassified, so he's he's only nineteen. So he's you're, you you almost have to guarantee that he's going to get better over time. That with with the right pieces around him and the right the right players and the right coaches around him, that he can hopefully cultivate uh, more uh, more uh, abilities on defense mm-hmm. in the future. Yeah, he he's. Um... I, I just think he's a. I just think he's an extraordinary kid. You know, I, I just think he's. He is. You know, he, he got. There were a lot of unfair comparisons to Andrew Wiggins. I thought, you know, before he even played a, before he even played an NBA game, because there was the, the story about that came out like shortly before the draft of, or I think it might have been after the draft after the Wolves had taken him of, you know, where he said that he. You know, he really loves football. He doesn't really like like watching basketball as much. Um, and so, you know, everybody has everybody has Andrew Wiggins PTSD. You know, if you're a Wolves fan, though, just the guy that was so indifferent and didn't really look like he cared about uh, about getting better. So there was always sort of that panic when when that article came out. But I I never really I never really bought that. I never really saw that. It was. You know, I think with Ant, it, it's certainly a lot different. He comes from a different, you know, different circumstances growing up, and uh, you know, just just different. He has a, he has a different personality than, than Andrew did, and um, you know, I, I just think that he's a he's an extraordinary kid. He's got a lot of character. He's he's a funny guy. He's entertaining, um, but he also you can tell he has that mindset of competitive drive and the willingness to you know to to be a, be a sponge and just soak things up and learn things and get better and and um you know he, I, I think he was somebody that had to had to be mature really quick at a really young age and he's got that he's got that ability to to be that way and and he still also has a great personality where he can have some fun too and I think that's kind of what this team has has needed for a long time a long long time um and, it, and it's good to see and I think he's going to be I think he's going to be here for a really long time provided Gerson Rosas doesn't screw anything up <laughs> uh I I do think Ant's going to be here for a long time and he's going to be a really um really prominent player for this franchise I do too I think you're right. His personality is just—it's just affectious, uh, uh, and he—he's—he's so, he's so aggressive. Like you, I—I—I'm with you. I, I never got the Wiggins comparisons. I—I I read them, and I—I I will admit when I first heard reports on it when he was in, at Georgia, I was concerned just like of the shot of shot selection and all that. But you're right that he's just so aggressive that like that just off the it's like two personalities like off the court and. The, like you mentioned in the in the post game interviews and just the personality he provides, but on the court he's just so aggressive, just with his body, how he moves downhill. So he, 
I think we're very fortunate in Minnesota that we have four, t- all five professional teams that we have a young superstar on each team. That it's like, I can't think of many. Um, I can't think of many big uh, big cities with as many sports teams, four or five sports teams, that has a, a young superstar on every single one of them. That you have uh, Edwards for the Wolves, Jefferson for the Vikings, Kaprizov for the Wild, uh, Kirillov hopefully for the Twins, and Dangerfield and Collier for the Lynx. I just feel like uh, I know in the past we've had a lot of promising young players and things didn't go as well whether for injuries or la- just lack of t- lack of talent or passion. But I feel like this time, just every single team has a- is showing a lot of promise. Yeah, I think, there's, I think there's reasons to be optimistic about, you know, the, the young players in, on each team. And it, I think a lot of it, I mean, it comes down to just front office, the front offices continuing to make smart decisions you know I, I think you know Gerson Rosas I think has done a nice job of taking you know he took Anthony Edwards um, when he wasn't the surefire number one pick um, and so far I think it's worked out um, found Jaden McDaniels which I think you know I think at the end of the first round you find a kid like that that's big you know that's something that the Wolves have not had for a really long time of just those those late mid to late first rounders those second round guys that become contributors I mean it just hasn't been enough of that and you know the player development has to continue you know and then you look around uh, the other teams too I mean you, you mentioned the Lynx they've got they've got a lot to work with the, the Lynx have a nice mix of um, veteran players and young players you know Cheryl Reeve has done a done a terrific job. I mean, typically you, you think when a when a player as special as Maya Moore steps away and and is, you know, basically gone for, you know, we're going on the third year now that Maya will be um, away from the team. And, you know, that's, that's a tough thing to replace. And the fact that the Lynx have not completely fallen to the bottom of the league um, despite losing one of the greatest players of all time... Um, is is really that's a testament to Cheryl Reeve and her eye for talent and being able to continue to to, to build a roster. So yeah, there, there's a lot of optimism I think in town. I, I think it just depends on the, the front offices continuing to make smart decisions, smart trades, avoid the bad contracts as much as you possibly can, and uh, and we'll see what happens. Definitely, that's it's it's a great it's music to my ears. I mean, I've I'm I've only been been alive twenty five years, but even in my short time, I've I've seen a lot of uh, various various levels of competency within the front offices in this in this town, especially with the with the wolves and I mean at the early years of the Lynx, they were they were not very good until Cheryl came along. So I mean, just all these teams, just to, I've I've seen it all. I'm I'm. I'm not as I'm not as old as as many others, but I I think I think we're in a good spot with each franchise, even though we might not always see it uh, during during the games itself. But I think we're we're headed towards the right direction. Yeah, and there have been you, you look at every team. There have been some late years. <laughs> there have definitely been some 
to lean here, certainly with the Wolves. I mean, it's most of their history has been that way. Um, but yeah, you mentioned the links of the links. There were some dark days before Cheryl Reeve came along, before they made the trade for Lindsay, before Maya um, came into the picture. You know, Simone Augustus was kind of on a she was kind of on an island by herself there for a few years. Uh, she was a really good player on a team that just wasn't very good. Um, but uh, yeah, and, and you know the Twins had some. The Twins have had some dark years. The Wild have kind of been probably the only franchise in town, I think, in the last two decades that has not really hit rock bottom yet. You know, and and they've done a pretty decent job of not um, bottoming out. But I'm also the guy that said for a long time that they needed to bottom out because they were sort of stuck for a while. They were stuck in that sort of mediocre spot of where, you know, they'd be good enough to get into the playoffs, but they wouldn't really make a lot of noise. You know, they hadn't, they had the one year in 03 where they went to the Western Conference Finals, but that was kind of a Cinderella run that nobody saw coming. Um, but other than that, they had really just been kind of walking, you know, towing the line of mediocrity, not really going forward, not really going backwards. And I had said, I'm looking at the Chicago Blackhawks and the Pittsburgh Penguins winning Stanley Cups um, for years and years and years and looking back at how they got there. And it was, yeah, because they bottomed out. They were one of the worst teams in the league. They were some of the worst teams in the league for a little bit. And then, you know, if you're Pittsburgh, you're, you're bad for a few years and then you get Sidney Crosby and then you get, you know, Evgeny Melkin and then you get in a position where you end up winning multiple Stanley Cups. Chicago Blackhawks, same thing. They were, they bottomed out and were really bad and then they got high enough to draft, you know, Patrick Kane and draft Jonathan Taves and, and other guys. And then the next thing you know, you look up and they win three Stanley Cups together. So, um, I always kind of felt like the Wild needed to go that route too. But then again, I think with the way they're playing this year, with uh, Kaprizov being in the mix and, and emerging as their young superstar, you know, they've, you know, you still got some other players that are sort of left over from sort of the previous run that have been contributing. And um, it's, it's, uh, it's been good. It, it, it looks like, uh, looks like they're headed in the right direction too. Oh yeah, I think so. I think, you have two superstars in the team. You have Kaprizov, who a lot of people were waiting on for a lot. We were waiting on for a lot of years, and he's been just an instant impact. And you have Fiala, and they're on, they're on two different lines. And you have Fiala, who's a budding superstar of his own. So it's, it seems like you're right that we had those. We're towing the mediocrity, and we, and without even bottoming out, we somehow get we somehow got two potent players. But I think the Lynx and the Wild. Are very are similar in that sense that they both, they both in just in in recent years that you they just found themselves without having to bottom out getting really good players. It's just it's crazy how that works sometimes. That's because in in so many leagues that you've had the teams that bottom out or tank, and they and they get the first couple picks and they just end up running around in circles. So it's just interesting that, that how it's just interesting how the how that works yeah and the, and the other side of the coin too Amir is that when you do if you do decide to bottom out you know I think it's a smart strategy to try and get 
you know, to get better down the line. But you still have to make the right decisions. Like if you're <laughs> if you're going to tangle for a couple of years, you still have to draft the right players. Because um, we have seen the Wolves be bad for many, many, many years and never get out of their own way because, you know, David Kahn drafts Johnny Flynn over Steph Curry or he takes uh, Wesley Johnson over Boogie Cousins and Paul George or, you know, he takes Derek Williams over a Clay Thompson. Um, you know, although a lot of people had Derek Williams as the consensus number two in that draft. But still, when you continue to, to miss and miss and miss, even though you're continuously at the bottom of the league, um, you end up just sort of stuck in, stuck in being bad. And so that's sort of the other side of the coin is that you still, either way, whether you're coming out of mediocrity or you're coming out of, you know, tanking and, and being at the bottom of the league, it all comes down to just making the right decisions. And whether it's luck or rather it's being smarter than everybody else, I, I honestly don't care how it works out. <laughs> it just, you know, it just every decision that you make is pivotal. And if you make mistakes, some mistakes don't hurt you that much. Other mistakes can be, um, can be drastic and can really affect everything that happens with your franchise there on out. So to me, it's just front office decision-making, getting the right players, getting, getting good players first and foremost, and then getting the right players, having the right coach in place. All of that, it's, it's so important. It's so important to have those things. And, you know, I think with the Wolves especially, I think now it, it appears as though they have that now. It appears they have a smart head coach a smart, uh, you know, smart front office executive. Um, you, you just have to continue to make make smart decisions. Because I'll be honest, I was a little skeptical of Carson Rosas after the uh, Jared Culver selection, trading up to take him, and then just not. I mean, Jared has just not really been very good, and he's been dealing with some injuries and stuff this year. But he's uh, that's the one where I am kind of looking back and just saying, oh man, if you would have. Made a different decision there. Maybe this team would be a little bit further, further along than what we initially hoped. But, um, but I think overall, I think they're they're in, they're in pretty solid shape, and we'll see what happens this summer. There's going to be some other moves to be made, I think, and some decisions to be made on some certain players, and you know we'll see how it kind of plays out, and we'll see if they get if they can find a way to get keep their keep their pick because I think if you can get into that top three somewhere and you end up with you know a Jalen Suggs or a Cade Cunningham or an Evan Mobley or something like that I think all three of those guys could help you and make your team better um you just have to hope that <laughs> you you fall into that top three because otherwise it's going to Golden State and you're not going to get anything out of it you're right I think that that's paramount I think a guy like Mobley would really help this team or Suggs I think but I, I at this point I wonder just based on the crapshoot that the lottery is with the new system, I guess, is it really that bad? If if, if you end up like the, if, if it's not the fourth pick, if it's like the seventh or eighth, and you get to keep next year's, and next year's a loaded class too, so, but it'll be, you're right, it'll be interesting to see. I think the one thing that maybe, I'll tell you one thing about the Wolves is, I realized how old I am the other day when I saw before the game on Saturday, they they, they sent out a tweet saying it was the first game they played in May since May 31st, 2004. 
And I remember where I was. was, I was, I uh, I remember bawling my eyes out, screaming, uh, declaring I'll never step foot in Los Angeles ever, or in California ever. So it was funny, it was funny seeing that tweet before the game and realizing how old I was. Yeah, I don't I, I go back to, I think about that, you know, game seven against Sacramento in 04, and I just, you, you know, it kind of reminds you of just, like, how time flies, and I just remember being a 20-year-old, you know, just stoked Wolves fan you know, kind of seeing the Wolves play big-time basketball for the first time in my life, of playing a Game 7 um, in the second round of the playoffs against another team that had been great for um, for a few years in Sacramento. And, you know, you're just kind of reminded of just, like, how, how time just flies and how long ago that actually was. I mean, us going on 17 years now since that uh since kg's epic performance that night but um yeah i mean it's uh you know being a sports fan here it's it's tough at times you know you end up getting uh drawn into drawn into nostalgia i think a lot because you kind of remember a lot of fun times that you had as a as a fan you know as a kid and you know those those Vikings days with Moss um, always come to mind, and obviously the KG years with with the Wolves. You know the Twins years where you know Gardy stepped in, and and you know they were winning divisions every year with Torrey Hunter and and uh, you know Pierzynski and Minkiewicz and those guys, and then Justin Morneau and Maurer came along, and um, yeah, I mean it, there was there was a point. You know, that 2002, 2003, 2004, that little stretch there, it was really fun being a sports fan here. It was really fun because the Twins were good. You know, the Wild were um, were young and kind of emerging um, and had that nice playoff run in 03. The Wolves were very good and, and then made a big trade to turn themselves into a contender. Um, and so it was, you know, and the Vikings, the Vikings had Moss and Culpepper and, and all that. Like it was, it was really fun being a sports fan in that probably two or three year period here. Um, and then things sort of changed a little bit, but, uh, yeah, I mean, being a sports fan, it's, 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 it has its ups and downs in this state. That's for sure. It does. It's like, it's like real life. You can, you can compare it to real life. It's like. You have your ups and downs, and you have your experiences. You have your like your first crush and your first your first heartbreak, and like you, yep. you, you, you then you get married and you have kids and just like so. I guess being in a roundabout way, being a sports fan is sort of like that in a sense. Just all the the ups and downs and the experiences that you have to go on. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> there's a lot of there's a lot of highs and lows. There's a lot of peaks and valleys, <laughs> you know. But but that but that's part of it. I mean, I I don't I don't know how we would be in this town if all of our teams were just winning all of the time. Like if you, it, you know, I mean, it, it's 
it certainly wouldn't be bad. I'm not I'm not trying to imply that, but it's like the law know, of averages. Kind of. Yeah, I mean it's it's there is something I think to be said for six forty p.m. You know, being a part of a, a you know being being you know being able to experience the growth and development of something, and then you finally get to the to the destination that you want, which is a which is a championship, and we're still you know, with the exception of the links, you know, we're still, we've still been kind of searching for that for, you know, going on 30 years now since the Twins last won the World Series. Uh, we haven't had, uh, at least the men's teams in town haven't had a championship. You know, the links of, the links obviously had that stretch of, of, you know, being a, being a perennial championship contender and winning four championships. Uh, but outside of that, we just haven't, we just haven't really had that here. And so, you know, I, I think I think there is something to be said though for being able to sort of enjoy the journey. If you get to the point where you're like you're like Boston, the way things have gone for Boston with the Patriots and the Celtics and the Bruins and the Red Sox just winning winning championships all the time, that's nice and that's ultimately what you want. I don't know. I feel like I would get. I, I don't. I don't want to think about how I would be as a sports fan if that's. If all of a sudden, just like everybody just started winning all of a sudden at once, because I don't. I don't want to become that. I don't want to become that arrogant, cocky sports fan. You know what I mean? That thinks that, oh, okay, our team just won the Super Bowl, so now we think we're supposed to win the Super Bowl every single year, when realistically that doesn't happen. Um, you know, and so, um, it'll be interesting to see though. I think, I do think that there's, there's light at the end of the tunnel, I think for, for a lot of these teams in town and we'll, we'll see how it goes and we'll see how things play out and, you know, hopefully, um, hopefully we can get at least to a point in, like I was saying before, in the, like 02, 03, 04, uh, where the teams are good, the teams are all good and they're all competing and. And uh, they're all giving us something to be really excited about. Yeah, hopefully. Hopefully that'll be the case. Before I let you go, I just want to talk some NBA, some current day compared to... I know I saw you on... I saw you tweeting about the 90s, and I'm I'm sort of uh, nostalgic for those days, too. I, I I love all... I love the history... Just the history of the NBA, just basketball in general. So just, just talk a few little bit on that. Just comparing the various... Not not necessarily, not necessarily comparing, but just discussing the various eras and just how they played, of course. Sure, fire away. What do you got? So I I feel like today I feel like the, you know the physicality. I feel like you don't want you don't want people getting injured. But what what drew me like when I was little watching the games, just like them seeing the Harvard classics, is just the, the overall physicality. I think. I love today's game just to, with the spacing. I love that, but I feel like each era and time had its own unique style. If you know what I mean, I feel like I I wonder what the next I wonder what the next trend and the next style uh, style of this art form will be, because you had like the the stretch in the eighties and nineties physicality going into the post. Then you had the you had the creation with the with uh, with Michael and. All these other great players, just the creativity. Then you go into, then you get into the two thousands. You have more 
ISO players, just more more the uh, more uh, traditional ISO ISO scoring. Then you go now and you have just the the uber uber amounts of space on the floor to shoot. So I'm just I guess I don't I don't know where we're going next, but I think yeah, just uh, I I guess I wish that not not you don't want people to get injured, but like I I miss I miss some of that a little bit, just the the physicality like the the in in the game. You know what I mean? Just when when you watch those Knicks games and Knicks and if you know what I mean. Yeah, I mean, in the 80s, it was, you know, and even I'm too young to remember watching the 80s, you know, live, uh, even as a kid. I was born in 84, and so, you know, I didn't really start paying attention to the NBA until I was probably 9 or 10. Um, but the 80s were, it was kind of a mixture of, you know, you had the, you had the run-and-gun showtime of the Lakers, um, and then you had more of the cerebral attack of the Celtics and, you know, and then you had teams like, you know, Milwaukee who, uh, Milwaukee and Denver who sort of got up and down the floor and, and, and scored and had a lot of high scoring teams and, um, and things like that. And then you had the Pistons who were, uh, physical and just wanted to beat you up and Bill Lambeer wanted to clothesline you every time you drove into the lane and, and, um, things like that so you kind of had a I think you kind of had a mix of that in the 80s and and I think you know when those teams would play each other in the finals it was you saw a lot of real contrasting styles you know when the Lakers played the Pistons in the finals um, near the end of the decade those two years in a row where the Lakers beat them in seven games in 88 and then the Pistons swept the Lakers in 89 that was a complete contrast in styles of play. You know, the Lakers could get physical. They could, you know, they could play play that that brand of basketball. But they were primarily with with Magic and Worthy and Byron Scott and AC Green and those guys. They, you know, they liked to get out and run up and down the floor. And, and Magic obviously was flashy, you know, running the offense for them. And you still had Kareem, that was still sort of the the veteran guy and the you know, the, the leader of the team and, and things like that. Um, and it, it was kind of a contrast with the sort of rugged, 46 p.m. tough, physical, grinded out nature of the Detroit Pistons with, with Zeke and, and Dumars and and uh, Lambeer and Rick Mahorn and those guys and Rodman, you know, a young Dennis Rodman. Uh, it was different. And... Um, you know, we don't really see a lot of that in today's NBA. A lot of teams are, you know, because of, you know, the analytics that have come into play and, and every team sort of figuring out, you know, some teams have kind of slowly caught up, you know, caught up slower than others. But most of the teams are playing, you know, similar styles of basketball now, you know, where teams are, a lot of the teams are shooting threes now. Uh, we don't really have that traditional low post scorer in the league anymore. You know, we, even the, you know, we still have Joel Embiid, obviously, but um, even the big guys in the league today are not just going down under the low block and dribbling, you know, backwards with their back to the basket and using post moves and everything. And we saw a lot of that in the 90s when you had Kim Olajuwon and Patrick Ewing and David Robinson and then young Shaq where you would just get down 
throw the ball into them in the post, and then they would go to work. Um, there's not a lot of that in the NBA anymore. Um, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about it. If if you know the the nostalgic personality in me kind of misses that a little bit, um, but I think I, I also kind of understand that it, the the league is different now, and there's there's more of an emphasis on the three point shot. And you know, from an analytical standpoint, it makes sense to do those sorts of things. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it's it's the, the it, it's hard to really tell what era was the best, though. At least for me, it's hard to really pinpoint which which stretch of basketball was was the best. I don't, you know, I will say that that era. That post Jordan Bulls era, you know, so Mike retired from the Bulls the second time in '98. I think from '98 to probably 2000, 2006 ish. A weird time. It was tough to watch sometimes. <laughs> it was uh, because that was sort of the that was the emergence of the Spurs coming into prominence and being a dominant team and obviously Shaq and Kobe ascended into their ascended into their greatness and then you had the um, the Chauncey Billups, Ben Wallace Rip Hamilton Pistons that came along and they were, they wanted to beat you 78 to 72 the Spurs wanted to beat you 78 to 72 all the time there were times where that was really tough to watch, <laughs> so I think if there was an era, even though I'm talking about, you know, the the peak of the of the Timberwolves' success was right during that time um, in their franchise history. Um, I will say that's probably a style of basketball that I don't miss as much, just because it wasn't wasn't flashy. It was physical, um, but it just wasn't. I didn't enjoy it as much because it was just there wasn't a lot of scoring. There wasn't a, there wasn't a lot of scoring, and there wasn't as physical a defense as we saw, you know, in the late '80s and into the '90s with the with the Pistons and the Knicks and and, uh, and the Bulls and, and and teams like that. So that was probably the one era I would say probably '99 to like 2005 ish. That's probably an, an era of basketball that I won't say forget, uh, but that's probably my least favorite time. I think of of um, of being an NBA fan. You know, the '90s was great. The, I mean, the '90s with with Jordan and the Bulls, and you know, I'm I'm very um, very partial to my my Houston Rockets teams in '94, uh, '95 that won that won those back to back titles. Great teams. Uh, ever. Yeah, those those I, I'm, I'm very um, I'm very partial to that era of basketball because that was a lot of fun. Because I was a kid too, so it was a little bit different. Yeah, and I think I, I I would agree with you that the the mid two thousands was rough. I think what's what was so so unique about the nineties is you had the physicality, but it wasn't just like low scoring. Like you had like physicality mixed in with the high scoring. You had like you had like players in the, in that era that would just turn it on. Like you had a, a you had a, just the creativity. You had the uh, Michael, of course. You had Hakeem with his moves. You had a guy like Reggie come in. With his shooting, so many various different, uh, 
unique uh, players with different with different talents. I think you have that now to an extent. You definitely have that now, but I feel like I I don't want to say there's less defense being played because there's teams like Milwaukee who's playing great defense. But I feel like it's what it's 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 the last two eras. That era we we talked about that's less enjoyable into the era of the last ten years or so. It's sort of teeter tottering, but the nineties how nostalgic we are about that is it was like. It was it was creativity uh, styled in with uh, physicality. It was just four four things at once. Yeah, I mean, I, I think in today's NBA, Amir, it's it's just it's it's just different. I mean, it's you know the games are higher scoring because you know for I think certainly for a lot of a lot of different factors. I mean, you know, teams are playing faster now. There's a lot more there's a lot more possessions. Teams are shooting a lot more threes now. Um, and, and it's, it's, you know, everybody's shooting threes. It's not just, you know, back in the day, it was, you know, your, your guards and, you know, maybe your wings would shoot threes, but big guys shooting threes was just not, not a thing. And, you know, and teams overall just didn't really shoot a lot of threes back then. Um, there was a, in fact, in the, I was looking up. A, I was randomly looking up a box score from the '80s of the Celtics. I think it was a playoff game with the Celtics and Pistons, and the Celtics took two three pointers in the game. Wow! And they were both and they were both taken by Larry Bird, and he went one. He went one for two. <laughs> and I'm just I'm, I'm seeing that, and I'm just thinking. There's just no way in today's NBA that that would, like, that's just impossible. That's just impossible um, to even to even think about that now. Um, but it, it's it's different. I mean, teams are teams are playing faster. Um, you're not seeing the shot clock wind down as much um, in today's NBA, and and it's just I think with offenses are a lot more sophisticated now too. I mean, there's a lot more ball movement. And it's it's just harder to play defense. It's harder to stay in front of guys because guys are so versatile now. You have so many different players that can create and put the ball on the floor and move around and and um, and and do a lot of different things. And it's, it's just harder to stay in front of your man now. Um, there's a lot more, I think, you know, strategy that goes into. You know what? How you want to attack a team um, offensively, and I think just the the rules the rules are in play now. You know the the way that flagrant fouls are called now, and the way that you can't really, you know, the way continuation is given now. If you if you're driving to the basket and somebody taps you on the arm, if the referee sees it, he's going to give you a couple more steps to where you can drive in and finish the layup. And then he's going to give you the two points. He's going to give you the and one. Um, you know, it wasn't really like that back in the day as, as much. And so it's just different. It's it's harder to play defense. I know automatically people think, you know, at least casual fans think that, well, the games are higher scoring, so that means they're not playing any defense. It's like, no, it's it's just different now. It's harder. It's harder to play defense. It's just like the NFL. Because you have to strategize. It's, yeah. Well, it's, it's just like the NFL where the, the – the scores are higher in the NFL now. The numbers, you know, by with quarterbacks are, are higher than they've ever been. 
Um, but that's just because it's harder to play defense now in the NFL. It's it's just it's harder to stay in front of guys. It's you can't hit guys the way that you hit guys back in the day. Um, and teams are throwing the ball a lot more and moving faster and using some no huddle strategies and things like that. It's just it's just different now, and it's it's a lot harder to to defend. And I think when that happens, when the game evolves, we have to also kind of evolve our thinking in that. Okay, well. Just because a team gives up 110 points, well, if you gave up 110 points 15 years ago, that was a bad defensive night. But now if you give up 110 points, it can be viewed as a good defensive night because the team that you're playing is faster. You know, they're playing faster and they're shooting a lot more threes and it's just it's just harder to stay in front of guys. Yeah, you're right. It's it, it, it's it's an evolution. It's it's, it, it's interesting how just how the pacing of today's game... Uh, before we go, just moving to today's game, the playoffs are coming up, and me personally, I'm trying to think of who is really going to gun for the title. And I, my brain is my brain, my brain is crammed. Like the West is so weird that you have a team. The defending champs are probably going to end up maybe in the play-in game, and you have like these weird the, these teams like Utah and Phoenix. You're not sure. It, you're not you're not quite sure if they can pr- prove it in the postseason. So I'm curious just to gauge your thoughts just heading into the playoffs. What what you think? Uh, yeah, I think it's going to depend on the Lakers. You know, what happens with the Lakers? Can they get healthy enough? You know, LeBron is um, obviously dealing with, you know, the ankle thing and, you know, coming back but sort of being cautious and Anthony Davis missing time. And, you know, you also have to wonder, uh, you know, if they are – put in the situation where they have to play in that play-in, that play-in game. Um, if just yeah. having to play that extra game is going to take a take a little bit more of a toll Six, on them. And, yeah. you know, the lower they are, the lower you are in the standings, the tougher your opponent is going to be um, in that first round. So even if they're able to sort of advance into things, advance into that, that normal top eight, then you got to wonder, okay, well, are they going to get matched up with with Utah in the first round? Are they going to have to get matched up with the Denver Nuggets in the first round? You know, the Nuggets, you know, when the Nuggets lost Jamal Murray, everybody thought, uh-oh, they're in trouble, and they've been playing great without him. Um, they've won 9 out of 10. They're sitting in the number, number three seed in the West. Um, obviously, they would much rather have Jamal Murray than not have him, and I think their chances would, would be a lot better if they did have him, but... You know, I think we're seeing with the way Jokic is playing, you know, the way he's sort of at the forefront of the MVP race right now. Um, they, you know, they're doing okay. <laughs> they won nine out of ten, nine out of ten, so they're they're doing all right. Phoenix, um, Phoenix is is really interesting because they've got a nice mix of young players. Devin Booker's terrific. You know, DeAndre Ayton has has improved. Uh, but Chris Paul, man, I, I, I just, I, I'm just amazed at the way that he's been able to um, play at this level the last couple of years. Even with Oklahoma City last year, he was terrific for them. Everybody thought they were going to be at the bottom of the standings and they end up making the playoffs and almost getting into the second round. Um, and Chris Paul's been at the forefront of that. And everybody thought he had one of the worst contracts in the league uh, when he left the Rockets. And, um, He's been uh, he's been terrific, and Phoenix has Phoenix has been great this year. Utah has been great this year. Um, Denver's obviously really good. The Clippers, 
you know, the Clippers have some, uh, the Clippers, <laughs> they're going to have to really prove something in the postseason. You know, I mean, uh, last year, last year's meltdown against the, the Nuggets was just, I mean, they got dragged through the mud the whole offseason, and they deserved it. They deserved every bit of it. And um, now you can't, you know, you can't blame Doc Rivers anymore because he's in Philadelphia now. Um, and so you kind of look at Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. They've got to, they've got to do it. They've got to be healthy, and they've got to bring their best, their best foot forward. Paul George, especially uh, when it counts. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's uh, the West is going to be fun. The East, I, I just Amir, I, I struggle to find. I struggle to see how anybody's going to beat Brooklyn if Durant, Harden, and Kyrie Irving are all healthy. I just, you know, Philadelphia has been a really great story this year. They've really bounced back after last year's disappointment. And Joel Embiid, uh, when he's been out there, has been has been uh, outstanding. And, you know, if he hadn't missed so many games throughout the year, he's probably your front runner for the MVP right now. Although I think it's still Jokic right now, just because he's he's played a lot more, he's been healthy all year, um, you know. And the Bucks, you know, the the Bucks are kind of in the same spot as the Clippers, where it's like, okay, well, you guys are good, but you're bowing out earlier in the playoffs than you should. You got to start answering some questions now. You know, this is the year where you got to really deliver because there are no more excuses. But I just, you know, if if the big three for the Nets are healthy. I just have a tough time seeing anybody be able to keep up with them um, come playoff time because those guys are so good. I mean, they're just so good when all three of them are on the floor. Um, and so it's uh, it's, it's going to be fun. I, I think it's, it's going to be wide open. It's hard to really pinpoint who exactly is going to come out of the West. Um, I think if the Lakers are healthy, it's going to be them, but it's going to be a really tough road for them. And I think with the Nets it's, it, in the East, I think it just depends on if those guys, if those three guys can stay healthy. If they are, then I think they're going to be the, the toughest out there. It's interesting you say that. Yeah, I, I agree that both, I think both conferences, it's hard to really find one team that uh, emerges from all of them just because they're all so good. That's like each conference has four or five teams that are all so good. I, I, I like the Nets. I think you're right. If When they're together, they're very dangerous. The only thing that's... Uh, I need I I need I still need to see from them is in a playoff series like when in your you're in a close game in a playoff series who takes control amongst the amongst the three of them because they're all they're, they're all elite talents with the ball in their hands so I think I think that together they'll be they'll be fine but I just need to see it from them first in a in a in a situation like that in a in a playoff series but I think well I'll t- I'll tell you who it should be it should be Kevin Durant. <laughs> I mean, if, if, you know, all three of those guys have a history of being, um, you know, they, they, they have a past of being clutch. And, and you know, I mean, James Harden has had, had his playoff shortcomings um, with the Rockets and, and you know, big games, not, you know, not performing as well. But he does have a history of, of making some big shots down the stretch, too. But for me, I, I think it's easy. I think it's Kevin Durant. He's the best player on the team. He's the best scorer on the team. Um, I, I think if, if, you know, you get into a close game, he's the guy that I want. If I'm Steve Nash, he's the guy that I want 
taken, you know, the ball needs to be in his hands um, down the stretch. And that's going to be, that's where it could get tricky for them because we know James Harden likes to have the ball in his hands a lot. We know Kyrie Irving likes to have the ball in his hands a lot. And there's Kevin Durant, you know, the, the guy that is probably the best option down the stretch for you. And he's like the one guy that doesn't, you know, really demand to have the ball in his hands all the time. You have to like, you have to get it to him. You just, you have to give him the ball. Um, but that, but I think they'll figure, they'll figure all of that out. It's, it's not like you could, it's not like you could go wrong with Kyrie Irving being that guy or James Harden being that guy. I just think for me, their best, the best option there, if you're looking for who gets the ball down the stretch in, in, in a close game, in a game seven, it's, it's KD for me. Oh yeah, and and KD doesn't even KD can do so much without having the without having the ball in his hands that he's a he's a great spot up shooter. He can he can he can create for himself without needing the ball so much. Obviously, one of the cornerstones in, in professional sports. Um, it's I think just sort of the, the basketball fan in me is is kind of I, I I I'm glad to see the Knicks being a little bit better just because I'm kind of tired of think I'm tired of having to talk about them being bad. You know what I mean? I, it's, it's, I, I understand sort of the thought of like, well, you know, who cares? It's the Knicks. Why should we, you know, why should we shed a tear for them? Let them continue to be bad and terrible because their ownership sucks and it's a big market and all of that. But I don't know. I was just getting really tired of the conversation about the Knicks because they're always going to be talked about. I got tired of them being talked about being bad for 20 years it gets it gets annoying it's kind of refreshing to see them uh to see them be, be good because it's just something different to talk about it's something um new to kind of to kind of pay attention to and be interested in it is it is manny it's been great it's been a pleasure having you on and your expertise and your knowledge thank you so much we'll have to do this again even even a pleasure yeah it's been uh, good to talk with you amir and uh we'll do it again soon Thanks for having me on. We will. I want to thank Manny again for joining us, Manny Hill. He's superb, excellent. He he has a great sports mind. I uh, just want to let you guys know it cut off for a couple minutes there. Uh, we were uh, he tra- we transitioned from talking about the the Nets to talking about the Knicks, and he was talking about Tibbs, and so just want to let you guys know really quick. Uh, but uh, other than that, Manny was just. Excellent. We'll have to have him on again. Uh, Thank you guys so much. Salam alaikum.